Shalom and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. I'm Patrice Fisher from Congregation Or Hadash in Clearwater, Florida. This week we're discussing Purim and the Book of Esther. Let's face it, for modern Jews, Purim is the funnest holiday of the Jewish year. Hamantashen are delicious. The name Hamantashen means Haman's pockets. Even their name is funny. Purim plays have the whole family guffawing. Children who spend half their waking lives listening to authority figures tell them to be quiet are encouraged to shake their grackers and yell out loud right in the middle of a public presentation. Yay! And boo! At the appropriate times, of course. The rabbis encourage adults to get so tipsy that they shouldn't be able to tell the statements, Hooray for Mordecai! And down with Haman. They shouldn't be able to tell them apart. They also say that men should feel free to dress up as women. And the women can dress up as men. A topsy-turvy, inside-out world is so much fun for us nowadays, isn't it? Such a fun holiday. There is definitely enjoyment to be had at a good Purim party but perhaps not at the expense of the seriousness of the story. Unless perhaps nowadays, people understand the bravery of Mordecai and Esther within their own times. The silly skit may be all they take away from the book of Esther. Esther is a true hero, both for ancient times and for us today. And yet well-meaning interpreters make fun of her problems. And they even try to shame her for her actions or shame her for what they perceive as her lack of actions. Let's briefly go over some of their spurious charges. Complaint number one. She hid her Jewish identity. Indeed she did. The text tells us so several times. However, the text also says, quote, she did this since Mordecai told her to, and she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Unquote. You find that in Esther 2, verse 20. Esther was an obedient child who was brought up as a faithful Jew and continued on as an obedient young woman. Complaint number two. She ate unclean, non-kosher food. The biblical text in Daniel makes a special point to show Daniel was keeping kosher while being forcibly kept in Babylon. But we don't see anything in the text about Esther's eating habits. Therefore, should we assume she followed the Persians' ways? It's interesting that there is a whole rabbinic midrash about Esther also eating only fruits and vegetables. By the way, the apocryphal version of Esther, which was written in Greek as part of the Septuagint, says, quote, she avoided drinking forbidden wine and eating forbidden foods, unquote. Complaint number three, she married a Gentile. This is a major plot point in the story. However, this may be a problem more for modern and or non-Jewish readers, since the text is clear on how this should be interpreted. She was taken. You find this term in chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. 
she was taken by the king's guards. That is, she was rounded up with other women like they were a herd of cattle. She had no choice in this matter. By the way, the Hebrew word for taken, lachach, in our text is the same verb as what happens to Sarai in Genesis 12, verse 15, where she's taken to be part of Pharaoh's palace. To deny the king's will meant imprisonment and or death. Please recall earlier the problem with Vashti. To please the king puts you in rarefied territory indeed. Esther is a prisoner subject to the whims of the king. Here, let's insert a note about life in a harem. The term prisoner is not an exaggeration for Esther's situation. When a woman is taken for the king, she is in the harem for her entire life. She is placed under the supervision of a harem administrator. We're told that in Esther 2 that it is the king's eunuch, Haggai, and she's placed in, in a trusted group of older harem women. She's never allowed to leave the palace grounds, except perhaps after menopause. She cannot talk to any people outside the harem. Any males above the age of approximately 12 in direct contact with the harem women are required to be eunuchs. These would include servants, messengers, and tradespeople. A woman does not choose to be in an harem. She is taken by soldiers and put into the harem if and when the king says so. In Esther, the governors of the various Persian satrapies were ordered to bring, quote, all the beautiful virgins into the harem at Susa, and then they will be given beauty treatments. That's in Esther 2, verse 4. They were there for months at a time in training. The king will then have sex with any of these women or all of these women. No marriage is necessary because he is the king. If or when the king will ever set eyes on a particular woman, again, is totally up to his tastes. Any women, the king and these, the king and the, these women, any excuse me, any children the king and these women may have are taken from the mothers at birth and raised with the other children of the king. The sons will be trained for military or ambassadorial work, and the daughters will be sold as brides to eligible men inside and outside of the kingdom of Persia. When Esther was kidnapped and taken to the harem, any part of the Jewish community that would have been part of her growing up years was thereafter cut out of her life. She is alone in a hostile environment with her secret Jewish identity. This might be revealed at any moment. She is forced to undergo beauty regimes and taught exactly how to physically please the king over the course of many years. She has no one speaking to the king on her behalf. Other women in the harem might have male relatives who speak to the king regularly and also drink with him at numerous banquets and parties he held. See especially what's in Esther 1 for that situation. Esther, however, is alone in a bastion of male power and wealth. Fear for her life is central 
in her consideration about what she should do and what she should not do. Complaint number four. She was able to leave the old impoverished Jewish life behind, but now her past has caught up to her. Now she is being asked to own her Jewish identity. She worked so hard to escape. In this charge against Esther, she is portrayed as someone who wanted to get away from her Jewishness so she could lounge around the palace and enjoy its pampering and luxury. There is no indication whatsoever that Esther is trying to escape her Jewishness. It's a cynical assertion to put a negative spin on her experience and is not found at all in the Hebrew text. She is not someone who shut herself up in the palace and hoped that the storm would pass her by. She is in a place and position she did not choose at any point. Contrast this cynical take on Esther with what we can read in the text. She's described as greatly agitated in chapter 4, verse 4, about Mordechai and his extensive time publicly wearing sackcloth and drawing attention to himself in public. Once Esther is informed of the death sentence for her people, plus Mordecai's further encouragement to intervene with the king, she immediately steps up her commitment to the Jewish community by announcing her plan to go to the king. Note, this is after telling Mordecai to inform the whole Jewish community of what she intends to do. She's not overstating her case to Mordecai when she says, I will go to the king even though it's against the law and if I die, I die. That's in Esther 4, verse 15. Complaint number five. God is not mentioned in the whole book. Therefore, this is just a glorified fairy tale. Should we consider it wrong or faulty or blameworthy that the book does not overtly name the name of God? If so, that would be the fault of the actual writer, not of the characters in the story. But in fact, the name of God is easily discernible in Esther in several ways. If you know some keys to the code in which this book is written. Just as Esther's Jewish identity is hidden until the correct point in the story, God is also hidden in the story until he acts. It's brilliant writing. It's not something to be ashamed of. Purim is definitely a good time for celebration. We should eat, drink, laugh, and enjoy the holiday fully. However, we should also appreciate the true story that we read in the Tanakh of the adventures of Esther and her adoptive father, Mordechai. We should appreciate and thank God for his working behind the scenes, which allowed the Jewish people to be saved at a time when their total destruction was all planned out. God gave Esther and Mordechai important qualities, wisdom, obedience, discernment, bravery, and quick thinking, among others. These qualities were used by our heroes to save their people. There is no higher calling. 
Let's not assume that Esther had a difficult decision concerning losing her position as queen and risking her life just because she was newly wealthy and there were unlimited beauty products available. This kind of dismissive attitude is incredibly disrespectful to a great hero of our faith. Esther's willingness to risk her own death in order to save the Jewish community in Persia shows her as following this higher calling by doing her duty in special obedience to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is Patrice Fisher signing off and wishing you Hag Sameach. For more commentaries like this one, visit our website at umjc.org forward slash comments.